Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Huradene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Well, Lucas, thanks for coming in, dude. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, have you ever shared your story before? I've shared it in different settings, different times, and uh, in different ways, yes. Okay, yes. right on. Because And I've, I've never heard your full story. Okay. So, um, and of course, you don't have to tell your full story tonight if you don't want to, mm-hmm. but that's what we're all hoping for. Okay. And I know there's girls or boys out there going, oh, Lucas, tell us your whole story. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I get that all the time. Of course, <laughs> of course. So, yeah, I'll let you start it off, take it away. And as, as you go along, like, um, I might ask questions. Please do, yeah. Yeah, I might interject or I whatever. I would love that. But I'll yeah. try not to cut you off. I really try my best. No problem. Yeah, and I wasn't uh, certain. I wondered, you know, I don't know, is this like a speaker meeting, for example? But obviously the nature of my sharing yeah. is my recovery story. Yeah, Okay. And every, anything else you want to talk about, of course. Really? Okay. Yeah. Recovery. Okay. Because you've been titled, through a lot. My path for recovery. Yeah. All right. Well, I can work with that for sure. So, well, um, let's start with the Recovery Church of Central United Church. Okay. And that's where we met, and I know your family from, so I'm not sure how anonymous things are here no, and what the sharing circle's like. Everybody but, knows everybody. Okay. Yeah, All right. Well, betcha. so meanwhile... Um, well, actually, let's rewind further. My first drink. How about that mm. one? Yeah. So in my, uh, well, 16th year, <laughs> I had my first drinking experience. And no, 15, actually. And so I, happy-go-lucky kind of kid, good circle of friends, good family, you know, happy life. And uh, had my preconceptions of what drinking was or wasn't, but I didn't really have direct observations of what I ever thought would be someone with a heavy drinking problem. Mm. Um, And I don't know, not overly familiar maybe with the nature of addiction, um, other than perhaps fear around that word alcoholic and what that might look like. Mm. Um, So my parents were on a trip. My brother and my friends had decided that they were gonna use this as an opportunity to drink for the first time. Uh, Maybe my older brother had indulged Prior to that, so I was the youngest of three, and uh, so I was kind of ticked off, you know. I was like, what the fuck? We don't need to drink, excuse my language, mm-hmm. in order to have a good time. You can swear to. Okay, so um, I had a bit of a bitterness that, like, we don't need to do this. And mm. uh, in my own way, I thought as they were actually out to caravan with a little van that a friend had to round up the gang and bring them back to my place, I thought, well, screw this. I will show them 
you don't need to drink to have fun and I'll drink myself and know that this does nothing. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of honestly what I thought. And I, I just sat down and it would have been like a hard rum or whiskey, something 40% or whatever. And mm. I just shot, 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 like probably a quick 12, 13 shots in a short period of time. And I got just hammered. And <laughs> by the time they got there and blissful, you know, like, mm. whoa, this was just out of this world. I mm -hmm. like had no idea. And I just got rocketed into that dimension of, uh, of total inebriation in short order. And we had a wild and fun time and everyone came back and it was a riot. And mm -hmm. so, but there started the journey of drinking and drugging. Um, and it's like, suppose, as they say, it's like the cucumber turning to a pickle. I mean, once that uh, flip <laughs> switch was flipped, I mm -hmm. mean, uh, it, it was, it's, been the forever struggle for me, you yeah. know, dealing with, with addictive issues as it relates to substances. So on the drinking front, you know, there was, and it was in many ways, a, a short drinking career that I had. It was mm. certainly a short drinking career by many people's measured standards uh, that you might find in the rooms of AA. Cause you know, I didn't drink till I was 15 mm -hmm. and it was in my early twenties that I found my way into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but, uh, hey, through the kind of high school years and then short few years afterwards, I mean, there was a lot of good times, fun times and the mm -hmm. wild times and parties that, you know, we hope or imagine is like the beer commercial kind of living that we kind of have the illusion that could be our own reality. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I could certainly identify for myself like that it was the... Oh, definitely the mornings after it's like, Oh my gosh, like the never again, I am never going to do this again. Feeling just wretched. And then of course, you know, fast forward in time and it's later that same day in that evening going, Oh, well, you know, just getting the energy back mm -hmm. up and maybe tonight would be, uh, you know, one more kick at the can here, you know? And so, and, and then evolving out of those, um, you know, social environment scenes to, uh, finding it to be a coping mechanism out on my own um, where uh, it's antisocial mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of behavior. And important to kind of reference throwing into the mix other substances as well. Um, you know, I've uh, nicotine, of course. I should not say just of course, but that's for myself been a huge struggle. And, uh, you know, cannabis, marijuana, I know that's just a different entity in itself, but it is one I will talk about because mm -hmm. it's threaded its way through in my own journey and understanding what sobriety looks like for me. Mm -hmm. um, so meanwhile, uh, I found kind of religion in the same kind of later high school years. And, and so I struggled with sort of this faith experience of like, I, I want, I desire to be better, mm -hmm. you know, like do better. And to be a Christian, you know, I, I got baptized when I was, you know, 17, uh, uh, kind of an adult baptism because we were not a, a family of faith or religion for myself growing up. Mm -hmm. So I had that conversion experience uh, and that was, you know, I, I had so many attempts of like, you know, what, when will the after be, you know, cause it was mm -hmm. like, okay, I know I'm going to hit the waters and come out baptized and be a new person, you know, but mm -hmm. I was not, I was <laughs> just me, a little wet, dried off and back to the <laughs> same routines in a matter of time. So you ran away, got out of the river. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> more or less. Um, so, uh, 
the faith thing kind of in the background gave me that guilty conscience mm. that I'm like, I'm, I'm trapped in this cycle and I can't seem to get out of it. Uh, so in my early 20s, like I never went to university or college after high school and I went, you know, directly into like labor work. And I thought, um, like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, where am I going? And like at many people that age frame and, and uh, in my desire for uh, Christian living, I did have this like, you know, Anthony Robbins was a real force in my life. You know, reading his books, Awaken the Giant mm-hmm. Within. And I thought, yeah, some great tools here. So I had a sequence of events, which was like I went tree planting in Ontario. I went and I uh, traveled Europe with some friends and was kind of feeling a newness and also, you know, feeling a little less stuck in the addictive cycles where, you know, I could feel like I wasn't smoking, I could have some wine and I wasn't going bonkers. Mm -hmm. But then there was a few benders in Europe. But aside from that, you know, I was pretty straight and narrow. And I, I decided when I came back, I was going to go to Bible college. And and uh, I did go to Bible college. And, you know, with all my friends and adult baptism and all that, they knew, you know, mm-hmm. my intent, of course, in life was to, like, get on the straight and narrow and, and lead a better life. And so I was feeling really inspired uh, in that segment of time. And and that's where I found my way into the recovery church, as some people call it in this network around here. <laughs> um, so I was surrounded by people like in a very uh, 12-step positive environment, you know, and so uh, very aware, grew, growing in an awareness of what, you know, the 12-step program is, what it provides. And then yet in the background here, I, I actually still got hired into um, work at United Church as a youth director, you know, and so a youth director role, most people casually would just call me the youth pastor, you know, which is... Mm-hmm kind of giving an overly <laughs> too much of a title for, I should turn that off, um, what the role was, you know, because mm. I would, I would leave it if you want, man. Yeah, I should mute that, obviously. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Should I? Yeah. No, uh, okay. yeah. I don't know how to edit after all this, but. Oh, yeah, no, it's all good. Do you want me to make noises while he's away? <laughs> Darcy, Darcy, you must edit this out. Darcy, edit this out. There we go, back in the saddle. Um, Hired into the youth pastor position. Mm. These were great days. I loved it, you know, uh, and um, loved it so much. Leading Bible study with a group of teenagers developing uh, this group, which was semi-non-existent, slightly existent prior to my arrival Mm. there. I did have a passion for that church environment. My, My parents went there and and I, I saw sort of, in my mind, you know, there was this demographic in that church community that was lacking, which was the teenage group. Mm-hmm. And being just in my early 20s, it was like I, I was a good age to kind of uh, rally the excitement from young youth at that time. And so yet uh, here in the background, I am struggling with my addictive issues. Um, and then this this real feeling of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing starting to uh, become more and more evident as I'm like, I really have some uh, hypocritical behavior, I guess you could call it, you know? So okay. in one space and place, uh, you know, I'm Luke, the youth pastor, Bible college student, and off by myself in the evenings, I'm getting drunk by the fire in the backyard, mm-hmm. and then... I'm on that repeat merry-go-round, you know, where it's like 
get drunk, blackout, get sick, wake up, what the hell, clean this mess, mm-hmm. you know, hide the bottles, replenish the stock. I was living with my parents, you know, yeah. so, you know, a bit of a failure to launch there perhaps. And so meanwhile, you know, I'm like, you know, I got, it's looking good, but that's all happening in the background, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my study career kind of faded away. I went to this Bible college for three years from full-time, half-time next year to like quarter-time the third year, and then never kind of went anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. So I think as a as an alcoholic, or at least for myself, that, uh, you know, always looking for the, it was like, the, you know, the faith was going to fix me. And I... I would certainly think that I was going to get, uh, I'm going to just say this, in a new relationship is going to fix me. You know, mm-hmm. like in that this marriage, so I got married in a real quick, short period of time. Um, and in that Bible school environment, it's like, it seems like, holy, you're getting invited to a wedding every weekend because mm-hmm. it's common. You know, people hook up in Bible college, get married, and this is like, so... And it makes you know, sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because you I, can't do it unless you're married, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it would, I'm not sure why that. I could happens, get into but... a whole other podcast about this. <laughs> I want to give a speech one day to Bible college students. Be like, uh, pump the brakes here, <laughs> and this is not needing to be part of the program That's because fair. I was not wise enough. Mm. I was not mature enough. But you know, I, I did have the Gaga, you know, fell in love with someone who mm-hmm. uh, went off to China. And then when she went away, and this is all within a year, I thought, she's the one. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And so, and then that kind of drove, again, the alcoholism and the addictive tendencies really crazy because I uh, packed up, flew over to Hong Kong. The first day we were together, said, I've come to ask you to marry me. You know, like I saw her eyes go wide, like, whoa, what the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I'm like, let's do this. It's yeah. like, wow. So life is an adventure. And that was, you know, my chapter there. Uh, we spent some time traveling Asia. And then for a better part of a year, you know, so began a real tumultuous relationship mm-hmm. that had like the whole, you know, from it, my my addictive tendencies just got really accelerated just because of mm-hmm. the way we related to each other. And it was like the on again, off again, we're, we're in love and things are hot. And then I'm like, like going off the wall mm-hmm. and I'm getting kicked out and I'm wanting to get kicked out so that in the back of my mind is like, I'm going to go get drunk mm-hmm. and go to the park. And that's what I really want to do, you know, like, so yeah. screw all this stuff. And it, and then all the insanity in a way, I mean, I know I was fueling it in, in some aspect to allow for really erratic alcoholic behavior, mm-hmm. you know. So so that's where things got really dark for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, when I think about bottoms, certainly my most painful, uh, ugly bottom mm-hmm. was, was that point in time. So um, this is kind of around 2000, so 21 years ago. Um, wow. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, time flies. I was married to her in October 2000, and we stayed together for 11 months. Yeah. That's it. So short little fuse. Uh, And so uh, I could get into some of the storytelling of those dark days, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't know. So in the rooms, I've heard others 
talk about how occasionally sharing our experience, strength, and hope is mm -hmm. perhaps giving your street cred that you know you've been there and you've seen mm. the worst of it and you've experienced some bad stuff. But um, I guess part of me, I'm often hesitant, and certainly in common rooms, I don't kind of lay out the, yeah. the most ugly parts of my stories. Um, and there's always a place and time for it. So perhaps not on this podcast, but I will say <laughs> I was unfaithful uh, to my wife. Um, and, mm. you know, I had such a conscious of this inside of me that was like, it was the, the most despicable thing, you know, mm. but it was in that, in a get thrown out and then looking for trouble, you know? And so yeah. in, um, I really, it's weird, like the underbelly of, the city I live, I, mm -hmm. I like the the dirty, dark mm -hmm. corners and where people <laughs> kind of uh, are up to mischief and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all that. It's because you're one of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's funny, too. It's the old I got friends in low places, you know, like I have scrounged those corners and mm -hmm. I I <laughs> have been in those dark places, you know, so and and uh, anyways, without getting more detailed than the fact that, you know, I was unfaithful. Uh, that was the biggest skeleton in my closet that I thought, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? Mm -hmm. And I can never. And so that was the reason for dissolving the marriage was in not of the best order, you know, but it's because I couldn't live with myself, you know, mm -hmm. I couldn't live with myself and what I've done. And that's where, again, the drinking and the drugging, just like now, this is a coping mechanism more than mm -hmm. anything. Now, by the way, with this we had a final jaunt her and i and again crazy all within a year but we did a two month it, no we did a three four month stint in taiwan i taught english to kids at the ymca mm -hmm. and it was like again lots of fun exciting things happening in my life uh but just plagued with the ism of alcohol mm -hmm. and you know i knew for myself that this person was not a person at least you know again this is what i told myself at the time i cannot spend my life you know with this person mm -hmm. And I, I never spoke the truth to her. And I thought, so when I talk about, you know, sharing light from the skeletons in the closet, that's like one of my key parts of my story where I go, you know, anyway, so I came out of that and I, I went through the work of like dissolving the marriage and then also going, I can't be in a youth pastoring mm -hmm. position here. Like I'm not mm -hmm. leadership material, you know, and I was so loved in that space and it broke my heart there too. But, mm -hmm. you know, I decided I'm going to get into my family business and, you know, I'm going to just be like a normal person. <laughs> Anyways, mm -hmm. And how crazy that sounds because I thought the problem is like, I'm trying to be this Christian in the Bible school environment and be a youth mm -hmm. pastor and, like, you know, other people drink and live mm -hmm. wild and free. And and I'm just bogged down by these other titles that I'm positioned in. So I need to detach from that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent a couple years, just a couple years, trying to somewhat be in that space of like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm just a regular guy, just in my early 20s, yeah. sowing my wild oats and just kind of wild and free, you know. Yet, yet, in my heart of hearts, knowing like I am... I am a, an addict. And by the first, and by the way, the first time I ever said I'm an alcoholic, it was when I was giving notice kind of at the church mm -hmm. that I was at. And because it was a 12 step friendly space, you know, that it was making it a mission. And I, I had that experience of kind of standing at the pulpit and like in one of my, I was often given the chance to share and speak there. And, you know, I said, I'm an alcoholic, you know, and I, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, 
hearing that, I feel uncomfortable saying that. It was mm -hmm. like in a public space, first time I made that admission. But knowing enough through the education of being surrounded by so many in that place, that yeah, I fit this. Mm -hmm. I fit this description. But also too, when I threw that title out there or that label, it was somewhat more like to excuse my behavior. <laughs> and yeah. now I gotta go and I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, hey, I'm an alcoholic. It kind of was like almost more an excuse than me trying to find a solution. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's my problem. And so now I'm gonna go live wild and free alcoholic life. Yeah. <laughs> if you'll excuse so, me, I'm gonna go get busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so better get, hop to it here. So, um, but uh, thankfully, Again, hey, I got a very loving, supportive community of people around me, so I couldn't, you know, anyways, and, and I am very family-orientated, you know, mm -hmm. so I was drawn into a family business, too, that it was like, uh, if I truly want to succeed in life, you know, I got some issues here that, mm -hmm. that I, I'm recognizing that I need to deal with. So um, a mutual friend of ours brought me into uh, my first meeting ever, mm -hmm. um, and first AA meeting ever. And I'm try it's kind of funny how it's a little dim. There's a couple different meetings. One I went to by myself and one I went to with this friend. And um, I, I kind of forget which one I went to first. But mm. I'll say what I feel like my first meeting I went to all by myself was like I wandered into a basement in this, it's called the Garnett Block there of, in Kensington and Calgary here. And oh, yeah. I was like, and... It was, you know, the smoke layered down mm -hmm. in the basement. And, you know, I'm a bit of a preppy kid from, you know, uptown, you can say. And I'm like, <laughs> again, I like the underbelly of the city. And mm -hmm. it's like, I love the grime and the grunge. And it's like, oh, this is wicked, actually. Mm -hmm. is kind of what I thought. But at the same time, I saw the title on the wall that said, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, like, I don't know that I fit here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I thought... You know, it felt like by stepping in here, I know I don't fit out there anymore, out mm -hmm. in the world, let's say. And do I fit here? And so that began my, you know, journey into into recovery with the Rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous was that uh, then a few years of, do I belong? Do mm -hmm. I not belong? Am I alcoholic? Am I not alcoholic? You know, and so giving it a go and then falling away from it, you know, so... I got a bowl full of chips, you know, from 24 hour, one month, two month, three month, you know, mm -hmm. I got a good collection, have experienced a lot of attempts to get clean and sober. And um, so truthfully, it was, uh, I will know the year here because it was the year my son was born. I was three months sober and then I met my wife now current wife mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is 16 years ago and three months sober started dating uh, my wife and then three months later found out she's expecting so this is like six months sober mm -hmm. and that's like often the very fragile point for me where it's like wow. i'm gonna like fall back out or and so, you know, I It's did, a fragile point for everyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, here it was in the you know, <laughs> Daily Reflections reading the other day. Relationships came up, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, within my first year, you know, I got married, had a kid, mm -hmm. and then um, that was 16 years ago. On And when I call that my first year because I... Now, this will all tie into I've had subsequent relapses mm -hmm. in the last, you know, seven years. But meanwhile, I that kind of really began my recovery, I feel mm -hmm. like, was was when uh, my 
now wife, I'll just say Chelsea, when she was expecting our first I was going to ask you what her name was. Yeah, Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, so Chelsea and I got married. And yeah, so I was like, fuck, I got a man up here. Like, mm. this is time. Now shit's getting real. And I can't fuck around. I'm having a child, you know. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so, and I, I did. You know, I did just, I grabbed hold of the program of AA and held on very tightly because I recognized that, I needed this if I was to be any kind of, I'm going to say success, you know, because that word is important to me. Like I wanted mm -hmm. to be successful, you know, it, like meaning for me though, succeeding in a relationship, succeeding as being a father and then succeeding in life ultimately, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I truthfully found like that in this program of 12 steps, it gave me the solutions for living that allowed me to succeed. And then the first biggest thing was just getting, you know, not drinking, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and certainly those early days were like about if I could just not drink tonight. And then, and for me, it, I was rarely a day drinker. It was mm -hmm. like a night drinking, but it was a daily drinking. And then it was always the morning regret and remorse. And then, you know, fast forward and then good idea again at night. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> if I could just get through those nights and grit it, you know, and a lot of it was just kind of grit this, like, don't drink tonight. And I've always been a morning meeting person primarily because mm. for me, I'd say joy comes in the morning. You know, if I could just like get through this night and then yes, I've, I've allowed for some evening meetings over the course of my, you know, a career, I guess you could call it to mm -hmm. like go, yeah, I've, it's more almost social and it's yeah. like pleasant and enjoyable, but it was something about just for me getting to a morning meeting would, would allow me to kind of just set me right for the day. And mm -hmm. then I'd look forward to going back in the next morning and be like, I'm back, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I should take a breath. I'm on a roll here, but how yeah, are we doing? No, you're is doing this, good. Is this good? Yeah, okay. it's great, man. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so, um, <clears throat> I'll just clear my throat. As a, into the living the program of AA, you know, I got eight years sober, eight years sober in the program, and that was almost daily meetings, you mm -hmm. know. And I think I was like same sober first month as you, almost yep. like we were kind of we were very close. We man. were kind of in that same range. Yeah. And I actually consciously did you sober up in August or? Well, no. So here's where okay. the story changes right. for okay. me, though, because because right. I uh, in eight years I got my eight year chip, and yeah. then um, you know physical outlets have always been super important to me, mm. and I got really deep into a yoga practice, you know, and mm. so I love yoga, and that you know was a practice I love and embrace, and you know I just anyways, and then so meanwhile that's happening in the background, and then you know ultimately. I, I felt very grounded in my sobriety mm -hmm. and I also started to perhaps question some things about the AA way, you know, and, mm -hmm. and as it related to what I call the dogma or it felt like dogmatic sort of like this is the way. Uh -huh. it's, and then I would challenge like it is a way, but mm -hmm. you know, there's lots of ways, you know, so, and there sure are. Yeah. yeah. And so meanwhile, <laughs> yoga was feeling like a way for me mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, grounded, sober, awakened, uh, living and and then even you know more so attractive than what the AA way seemed to be for me you know which was mm -hmm. just the you know going to meetings seemed to be the you know the 
the crux of the program for myself. Mm -hmm. the, you know, so that element of going to meetings, I, I actually thought I'm going to not go to meetings. Like, and yeah. it wasn't like I, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to drink. And I, I thought I made an intentional choice. I'm just going to step away for a little bit, just mm -hmm. to even clear my mind, you know. And I joke about you know, here in AA, it's like, you know, I needed a good brainwashing because <laughs> I had a dirty mind, you know. And I sure so, did. Yeah. So meanwhile, I felt I'm a little brainwashed here, you know, in, in my sharing and everything because mm -hmm. I had almost a script because it was like, <clears throat> this is my story. I became, I embraced my story and this is what it is. And I, I could share what I thought. I could share great, you know, I mm -hmm. got a good message here. And, and yet at another level, I would wonder back and go, what to, is this now, am I just doing this because mm. it's so scripted inside of me, you know? So I intentionally stepped away. So, and I had a, at least a year, n nothing changed other than mm -hmm. the fact I wasn't going to meetings, you know? A year, maybe two, and this is where I got to mark my calendar a little bit, but the funny change for me, uh, because it's so uh, ironic, is because I went to an Anthony Robbins conference in California, which was a one-week all-immersive kind of unleash of uh, the giant or I forget mm -hmm. it's an ultimate power or something like this, yeah. you know. So uh, and some cool ass catchphrase. Something phrase. cool, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I got <laughs> just pumped up, and it's like, you know, if anyone's experienced that kind of place and space, it's like, wow. I mean, and from someone like this, it was wicked. And mm -hmm. so funny enough, then in Palm Springs, and then I we have two kids, three kids at the time. Uh, so yeah, going back in time a little bit here. And uh, after graduated the evening, and I was thinking in my mind, I refined my own personal mission statement, what it was. And, and it was, you know, I remember the first part of it, but it's like embracing the wildness that is my nature, you know, mm -hmm. and just living in that because that is who I am. Yeah. And desiring to be more in that gray, you know? And so I actually thinking in myself is like, what is that alcoholic label? You know, like it's mm -hmm. a label. And I mean, I am physically in 10 years, I'm every cell in my body has changed. Like, like I am of a new mind of mm -hmm. a new spirit. I am not who I was, you know? So, yeah. and it was all like this and I can drink, you know? And so, and my wife drank cause she had been, she decided not because she's an alcoholic, but when we got together and we had kids, then she's like, she decided out of respect to me, she wasn't going to drink. Anyway, we drank together for the first time and it was like, and then boom, I was just like right back to drinking the way I drank, you know, mm -hmm. anytime in my past history. And it had been 10 years at that it point. It had been about 10 years. Yeah. yeah. So that's far out, man. Yeah. And, and again, not like I didn't like leave her and go out and hire hookers and mm -hmm. like, <laughs> but it was like, I, I got hammered mm -hmm. and I, you know, I always say for me, it's the old, you know, blackout or oblivion, you know, that's where I like to end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's never, it's, you know, and this is how I always determine I'm very different than a lot of these people who like to drink and feel that buzz. You know, it's I kind of related to like the kite floating up in the sky. It's like, you know, I just want to keep letting that thing out. It's yeah. like once you're going, you go to the end, you know, mm -hmm. so why stop there? Anyway, so um, the interest of like, hey, I'm going to be, I think I could be that guy who goes to social gatherings and has a couple of glasses of wine or a beer. And it's like, no, it only took me a matter of a few weeks to go, this is not me, you know. Mm -hmm. Also too, you know, hey, give yourself 10 years 
being sober in social environments and mm -hmm. then try to reintroduce yourself to people in your world is like, hey, you know, I think I'm going to drink now. And they're mm -hmm. all looking at you kind of weird, like, well, not okay, sure what's happening. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So then it's the antisocial drinking behavior, too, where mm -hmm. it's like, well, maybe I'll have like one here in this social scene, but I'm really going to go home and just hit the closet and then mm -hmm. actually go to that blackout oblivion place where I really want to go, you know? So, and that's, that's a big theme for me in the understanding of what it is for myself, drinking and drugging versus being sober living is like, for me, it's uh, uh, the world is shrinking. I'm closing. Mm -hmm. I want to close the door, close the window, turn off the phone and just, get hammered <laughs> mm. just go to that point of blackout or oblivion you know so and whereas the opposite is true when i'm sober living it's like you know open the door open the curtains get mm -hmm. out into the world world expanding connecting with people and also you know it's i'll just tie that into this for me you know i as i feel as an alcoholic as a person or a spiritual being i'll even say living a human experience like i want that connection you know which is mm -hmm. the connection with the universe, higher power, um, and other people. And there's the illusion, you know, that drinking, you know, when that first time I drank, it, the veil was torn and I was connected, mm -hmm. you know, beyond my own ego to something. But it's the illusion because it's like mm -hmm. the wake up and the exact opposite actual experience occurs as it's like, woof, I like feel so disconnected mm -hmm. from my fellow man people around me and from my creator I feel like just like isolated and alone you know so so yeah a little bit of a side share there but as I understand you know what what it is to be both living in like the problem and then living in the mm -hmm. solution you know so yeah so then I'm I live for now again I almost have to look at the calendar of time here but I was for some while sort of very adjusted to not going to meetings and mm. being dry, not drinking, uh, and kind of like floated in and out to some meetings for some mm -hmm. while and didn't know kind of, I didn't want to say, like I did, okay, quite a few I'm coming back type mm -hmm. introductions at meetings, but I tried to live in that grave for a little while still mm. too, you know, so that lingered and, and uh, I have been, you know, sometimes almost haunted, I would say, by someone I knew in the rooms, and he's since passed, but said, for a lot of people who go back out, it's like the the handle is slippery. It's like they've oiled the handle. It's hard to get a hold of again, you know, and I, I kind of wondered, you know, if she, like, maybe I'm that guy, because I mm -hmm. can't, you know, I, I never had fully committed back into AA and living the program and, you know, the one day at a time approach. And in a way, because, you know, I was fairly adjusted to living mm -hmm. dry. I'm, gonna, I'm calling it dry living because it was, I would now distinguish it from sober living because I was not drinking, but I was not practicing mm -hmm. the program of the 12 steps. Uh, in 2016, I had an operation. So this is kind of a big event for me, but it mm -hmm. relates to recovery big time because then oh, sure. this was the thing that, kind of, anyways, I was diagnosed with a disease uh, about now 15 years ago, which is called primary sclerosing cholangitis, PSC. It's a liver disease. Mm. Unrelated to a drinking liver disease, oh, actually it's an autoimmune liver disease yeah. that uh, 
I have. And basically, if you were to Google it, and when I did originally, it's like, wow, like my liver has, I got 10 years and I'm going to have to have a liver transplant. Mm. Well, and this is like, and then you read and read and wow. it's like, oh man, you think you're going to die. You know, it seems like a life is like, okay, wow, I don't have as many years as I thought I'm going to have. Mm. Um, so mind you, uh, that's one part of this. Uh, this liver disease has a high incidence of people then will also have ulcerative colitis, another condition that I have. So uh, anyways, it had never impacted me in any kind of a debilitating way. And for anyone who knows me, like I'm very energetic person, healthy living, you know. Um, I've never known you not to be like physically fit. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. We, in one form or another, yeah. you've been physically fit yeah. since it's, I've known it's you. It's altered, you know, yeah. in terms of what that is nowadays. But yeah, by all means, that's for me when I got this. And this was when my kids were born because I went to get um, life insurance. And then I thought, the hell, I'm not approving. Again, at that time, I'm like years sober. I was a vegan. I was marathon running. Like, and by the way, addictive tendencies, I've been addictive like to yoga. I'm going to like <laughs> master the primary series. And I'm addicted mm -hmm. to running and I'm going to run like I've done 13 marathons and qualified for the Boston Marathon. Like I'm addicted mm -hmm. to these things, you know. So I'll sometimes say, Addictive tendencies can have a light side to them where mm -hmm. it's like I get addicted to things that get rewarded in life in yeah. some ways. I get addicted to my work and what I do. Anyway, so this is addiction, mm -hmm. um, the lighter side of it. So meanwhile, yeah, I was blown away that I, was, was, that I, did, I could not get life insurance because some uh, reading of my blood work showed that something was out of, out of, sh out of shape. So anyways, the ulcerative colitis is a condition of your bowels mm -hmm. for me, the colon. So this, <laughs> the big thing for me was like, they said, okay, before I was, now I'm 44 this month. They said, you're going to have to have a liver transplant before you're 40 at this current rate of things. Mm -hmm. Cause you're, you have a cirrhotic liver. <laughs> Again, this is all like mind blowing. Cause I'm like, yeah. I'm like a healthy guy, you know? So at least I feel good anyway. It's just so wild. Yeah. So, they said, however, you know, with an ulcerative colitis, w the doctor's recommendation was to remove my colon and because it would give me a longer term with this liver. And also, too, then when you have a liver transplant, the chance of recurrence of this disease into the new liver is far less likely because mm -hmm. what is very often happens is you get a liver transplant and then this disease comes into the new liver. So... I mean, this is all mind-boggling news to try to take in here. Mm -hmm. So, okay, what, what does this mean? Having your colon removed, <laughs> this is not uh, something you want to ever have the doctor telling you is what does this mean for you? It means you're going to have to have a stoma, which is they change the output. So mm -hmm. you get what they call the Barbie butt. You get stitched up in the rear end, and they take out your whole colon, and then they put the output in your belly mm -hmm. and I for my life have to wear a bag and yeah. that's where I shit yeah. <laughs> so anyways when you you could say life has given me a shit bag here, man <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> anyways <laughs> yeah I like in hearing that I'm like give me the liver transplant I don't care yeah. I'd rather have anything else than that yeah and uh so a lot of processing what this means and and uh, that must have been heavy, man. Oh, 
Yeah. I can't even oh, imagine yeah. it. Terrible, now. terrible, terrible. Yeah. yeah. And terrible because it's also just imagining things, yeah. you know, like, because it's a foreign, like, like. Completely foreign. Yeah. yeah. And so anyways, and Google. Like literally, <laughs> like if you have told me that, I would have thought you were kidding if you just said they stitched up your b-hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. No, like I'd have been like, oh, you're playing with This me. is, I've sometimes thought, you know, I used to hear it all the time. People like. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. I want someone to say that now in the meetings so I can be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me tell you. You can guarantee if I see you at a meeting, it's coming out of my mouth. Yes, because like, okay, I had one. I had one. But Everybody's got, oh, not Lucas. Yeah, I'm sorry, exactly. Jordan. Yeah, that is, that is me, the Barbie butt, they call Man. it. So. That's yeah, heavy. That's it's heavy, heavy man. Yeah, it's heavy. And so, okay, this is in 2000. It's six years. It's my six-year anniversary here again, just last month. So, that was significant and mm. significant to say the least. Anyway, um, but I, I ultimately, after getting different opinions and da da da, it's like I will do this most terrible thing that has to be done mm -hmm. when under the knife. And so they actually thought if you get like a brochure that you're going to be in the hospital for like three or four days. Oof, I was in the hospital for almost two months mm -hmm. and it was like hell. And like, cause all these other things started to go awry yeah. after I got cut open and won't get into the details at all. But like, I mean, that was when I talk about there was this rock bottom here in my mm -hmm. early 20s and the drinking and drug addiction that <laughs> took me to the underbelly of society, mm -hmm. this was a different dark bottom place mm -hmm. that others have experienced, I know too, coming out of like a prison environment or a mm -hmm. hospital environment. Like I feel like there's a lot of connection there. Um, speaking somewhat naively, having not been in one of those mm -hmm. spaces, but uh, it was friggin' hell. And well, you have no control over what you're doing. No so, control, no yeah. control. Yeah, and let me out. And then also, mm -hmm. anyway, so then I come out of that space and I was like, and I went from being like, again, you said you've seen me looking healthy and other, mm -hmm. like, I was like, that hit me like a wall. I came out like a skeleton. Like mm -hmm. I was 140 pounds and I'm six feet tall. I, I was looked like a concentration camp victim. Mm -hmm. And and I got tubes coming out of every part of my body and I got this bag for life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, anyway, here's my inspiration at that time. It was like, I, I got on a mission to rebuild uh, my body physically. And so I've had these other addictions, you know, again, yoga, running, <laughs> veganism. <laughs> I was vegan for a mm -hmm. long time and vegetarian for like 18 years. But I was like, I... I had a, a big change on what my physical disciplines would become because it's like, I'm, I'm gonna bulk up here, you know? Mm -hmm. So took to eating meat uh, and being very conscious. And by the way, this is all to not just aesthetics, but build your body back as a buffer and insulation for when you do get a liver transplant. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I can't go in there walking like a stick man because yeah. I now know what it's like to get like hammered and then have to rebuild. So I want to create some insulation from that mm -hmm. experience, you know? So anyways, I, I really kind of took to, you know, uh, bodybuilding, basically mm -hmm. lifting weights and uh, getting stronger. And then, so now I'm packing in 200 pounds and I can bench press 315 pounds and, nice, you know, man. I'm feeling strong. Mm. So. And that must be incredible coming out of a place where you were 140 oh yeah. pounds. Man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, again, too, the doctor, like, you cannot lift a five 
anything more than five pounds for a month after coming out. Like, yeah. and so, I mean, that process of rebuilding, very rewarding and, mm -hmm. and quite a journey. Ties into the drug alcohol because uh, I really then got addicted to painkillers and sleeping pills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so again, here, I'm not back in the program of AA and I'm on a path to recovery physically. Mm -hmm. And so I have a great transformation story there too. And like people see like before and after pictures of me and it's like, like, whoa, mm. I look like a different person. Like, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, and I get it. I, I get less of it now because I've been kind of yeah. this shape now for a few years, but certainly two years later. I was well, like, even between now and when you were marathoning it, right? Yeah. Because oh, when you were marathoning it, you were very lean. Like, oh, like yeah. yeah. I've generally my whole adult life have been about 155 yeah. pounds, 160 okay. pounds, you know? So, so, and, uh, yeah, dietary interests were different. I was mm -hmm. eating food for energy, you know, and it was always about yeah. like, you know, I can sleep like five hours a day and be very energized. Mm -hmm. and, but I got onto a different path where it's like, I call it more, honestly, it's a different form of fitness called the like lazy panda like you know it's like i need <laughs> yeah. to rest more i need to mm -hmm. eat more and then i have these like burst interval workouts you know mm. and uh, so a different type of fitness but you know then there was something else happening in the background here and it is like <laughs> sleeping pills and like mm -hmm. this is again me trying to find the gray yeah. where uh, and what was really happening was like i was sedating myself uh and that was a coping mechanism, you know, and wasn't drinking. And again, I'm not living in the AA program way of recovery. Um, and so although through all these years, I've, I now say again, at 43 years old, I have been a non-drinker most of my adult life, but mm. there's been something quite different over the last six years because I've been on that sort of in the background, I'm popping a couple, two to three of these sleeping pills every night mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, part of me is like, hey, this isn't heroin. I get it. Mm -hmm. This is a very mild, it's very acceptable. But for myself, like, I am popping these things just like I used to drink, mm -hmm. you know? And then so I also told myself through that going like, and, you know, again, here I'm getting tons of pats on the back for mm -hmm. my transformation and what I've gone through in my recovery. And, you know, outwardly you know i'm sober living and mm -hmm. i'm not like drinking and drugging but it's more that prescription drug thing um and when it was like i was pro cannabis for lots of different reasons before marijuana was legalized but i always thought well when that is legalized mm -hmm. i would much rather take something organic than some sort mm -hmm. of prescribed chemical drug so uh then literally the day marijuana was legalized i lined up in that five, six hour lineup. And I was <laughs> yeah. like the first day and pick some up and <coughs> under the disguise of like, Oh, the CBD for the body and mm -hmm. the health. But then, you know, very quickly, it's like, what is the highest THC you can get? I want that. And then I want as much of that as I can have. Mm -hmm. So I'll have that every night. And I had it every night up to like, and there was only a couple different times I traveled internationally that I couldn't, you know, have my daily cannabis mm. and by the way it's not like i took that and then stopped taking the sleeping pills and mm. it's just another thing in addition to the sleeping pills so um it was then december 2019 that i like came back to aa you know mm. so how are we doing here because i can tell We're this good. comeback story is good 
Yeah, we're doing really good. Okay. What time are we at? 6.45. Oh, shit, yeah. We're doing great. Yeah. Do you shoot for an hour typically? Whatever you go, man. Do you normally if, talk more typically? If you go, no, 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 oh, okay, no. Okay. People hear me talk all the time, dude. All right, okay. They don't want to hear that shit. Okay. <laughs> all right. So now we're into the Sober 2.0 and the newest return to recovery story. Because, um, yeah, for me, like... Um, this all of cannabis, sleeping pills, hitting the gym. Uh, my wife is traveling. At that point, she got a corporate job. She has her own wonderful, amazing story, an amazing person who I love very much. I don't know if she'll ever hear this, you know. <laughs> maybe I'll encourage her to. Uh, yet, uh, we'll get her some links, maybe. Yeah, yeah. She had a workaholism that was like her manner of coping with this whole thing that we experienced mm -hmm. because it was like, if Lucas ever gets sick again, like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, so... She got a, an amazing job, but it, that job had her traveling one week out of every month. So mm -hmm. quarter of the time, I'm kind of single fathering it. And then add to that while she's in town, like she's really consumed with her work. You know? yeah. So this is the backstory, you know, relationally where I'm going like we, we drifted. I'm feeling more like the single parent and I'm juggling it all. I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Um, I'm loving life, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm also feeling very alone, you know, like as a yeah. person, like I, 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 we have this more roommate kind of existence mm -hmm. started to happen. And this all ties in because this is how I came back to AA because ultimately it's in the gym space. Like I'm starting to get some attention and uh, mm -hmm. some very good attention from some very attractive women and, and new opportunities are like mm -hmm. coming before me. And so I, I had someone like really pursuing me and in a way that was like not mysterious at any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much trying to live an honest, you know, good life and not do any sorts of backside betrayals. And mm -hmm. so uh, I was super conflicted though, because I'm like with my wife, Chelsea, I'm like, I can't live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, whether, we have either an open marriage or we are not together, but what we have is just too much of a, just a coexistence that, you know, I need something more. And, and this was, this was where I'm like, I wrote a letter, like, um, I am, I'm done, you know, mm -hmm. I'm done. And so by the way, that this kind of all culminated to just with like, it, it took a few months, but, had a psychologist that was helping us, a counselor who we kind of knew our story pretty intimately well. And so, but the thing is with this person that was in my life, it, it actually had the same patterns of the addictive nature mm -hmm. of like obsession of the mind. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the allergy of the body opportunity if I could taste that and kind of mm -hmm. get down that path. But it was like my, uh, mentally, it was the punch drunk love. Like I mm -hmm. was like, the, the mind was flipped and I could not even actually function basically uh, I was so gaga for someone who was not my wife mm -hmm. and then uh, my counselor was like why don't you try going to those open meetings like one of those 12 step meetings and I'm like oh, that's a good idea I love meetings and I love the 12 step program and so uh, and, you know I'm knowing I got these other issues the marijuana and the sleeping pills that are like I and by the way, nicotine was vaporizing like it's like hardcore every day. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I got so much going on. I less like, yes, I will go back to mm -hmm. AA. So, and I thought I'd hover in the background, but I also know when you go to AA, you're 
if you put yourself in that space, you know, there is a gravitational pull to it that I, at another level, knew, like, I just need to get near the fire here to get mm. drawn into it. And so, um, and it was actually while I had been going to the program that I, you know, gave the letter to my wife, you know, I was in a meeting, we were reading the family afterwards chapter in the big book yeah. that I was more in a place where like, I actually felt like the, like my wife who was non-alcoholic, I, I was more like the, the, the woman in the story of the wife mm -hmm. who's like feeling like I, I'm alone in this mm -hmm. family situation and I don't have any support, you know? So whole different story, but in the meantime, that all was our own sort of explosion. But December 24th, 2019 was when I like, hey, I thought I'd have a, a sort of an inaugural send off beer because I'm like, I'm going to just get actually sober again mm. and clear out all this other stuff. And so then I made that my new sobriety date, uh, October 24th, 2019. So meanwhile, this year, then we get into it and then I am I am loving this program again, mm. like a newbie. Like, so I have this very interesting experience currently happening where it's like, I feel new and young in the program and like, I don't know much and I'm learning and I like, but at the same time, I also have a couple of decades of being in and around the rooms, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I'm really loving where I am at this station in my life at this moment. Um, was loving the daily meetings. I was almost 90 meetings in 90 days. COVID hits, boom, no more meetings. And mm. then go to one Zoom meeting and I'm like, uh, I don't really like this. Mm. Been had been living the one day at a time kind of thing yeah. um, through that, you know, and again, lots of experience of dry living and not, you know, uh, drinking without being at meetings. Yet, uh, fast forward to November, 2020, by the way, my wife and I have had a, like an amazing rebirth in our own mm -hmm. sort of relational experience. Again, pretty incredible for being together for 16 years, you know, but... Can I ask how that happened? How like, that happened? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It I'd seems love. important. Yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, for her, when I, I gave this letter that said, I can't do this anymore, mm -hmm. I'm leaving, she kind of had a whole breakdown experience. And that was like, it broke a shell off of her. Like she covered mm -hmm. herself up with so much you know, protection around like trying to control like mm -hmm. what was happening for us, you know, that work is the protective mechanism. If I ever got sick again, that will help the family mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and she just really kind of melted. And then underneath this shell, it's like, here's my wife has like returned, like, mm -hmm. and she kind of just came back to me as like in her true essence, really. Mm -hmm. And so then we had this honeymoon experience where like she took eight week leave from her work. She took a, a sick leave from her work and got paid for eight weeks, which was mm -hmm. or six or eight weeks. I don't forget what it was exactly. So that just, and so I kind of like totally took the hand off the wheel of my work and just, mm -hmm. we had this honeymoon. It felt like for two months where we just really went deep together. Nice. And then, and then immediately again with the COVID thing, then it was like she went back to work literally the week the world closed. So yeah. suddenly her whole travel thing changed. She was just home. And then into the summer, it was like very nervous about engaging work again. Mm -hmm. Again, we use lots of terminology in the recovery world, but understanding she's a workaholic. A lot of nervousness about like, mm -hmm. well, you know, 
kind of need to work and should work. And so she... That's a tricky balance. Yeah, so she entered the waters of work again there. And we were very much like, and if it's not working, like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to do this, you know. And thankfully, you know, I have a career that can provide for the family Mm -hmm. if, like, and really, we can be a one-income family if, if, so I've always thought for her, work is somewhat optional, you know. And so, but the more, you know, the more kind of just means more stuff, you know. And Mm. anyway, so she then in the summer, uh, after only a couple months of actually going back to work, said, no, this is... She doesn't mm. want this to take her life, you know, like, mm. so, so she's quit her job. And then, you know, again, she's had her own experience, but it's been a lot of us going deep, but it's important to say balanced with like professional psychologists mm-hmm. <laughs> ourselves counseling. Yeah. We did go to sex coaching. I'll just mm-hmm. say that like, cause that was like a huge thing for me. It's like, where's the love mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Yeah. So, uh, we, we found a lot of new things about ourselves mm-hmm. and our wiring kind of like uh, our sexual blueprints yeah. kind of who we are and how we fit together you know so uh and it's not just that love language thing but there's a, a physicality which we were like wow we're on a learning curve here too mm-hmm. again i'm going like shit i'm 44 like how come i didn't know any of this stuff earlier no <laughs> one teaches you this stuff yeah. you know um yeah and uh so again, that's a one day at a time thing. And yeah, the COVID thing was fascinating though, because then it just, we had months of just these daily walks almost mm-hmm. going for two hours. And like, this is like a epic time in history. When yeah. are you ever going to have all this time together as a family? You know, it, yeah. it was bizarre. Good so point. gave us tons of time. <laughs> so that's kind of been it. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Uh, anyway, so where was I? <laughs> I'm not sure. That's awesome. That's a great story though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to say fast forward, though, into November, uh, because mm-hmm. we, uh, her and I, she never did marijuana. Here, we did kind of start to get into this zone of, like, I'm working again, and, like, where's the fun? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, marijuana, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, by the way, then, you know, get a little... I. A little erosion on the sobriety mm-hmm. because then it's like some sleeping pills got them again from my doctor anyway so i've actually so i've really struggled with like what is my sobriety date you know because mm-hmm. i never drank again and then meanwhile the marijuana thing was the huge thing though i thought that i'm like i i reintroduced she agreed we had some mm-hmm. it she had a hospitalization experience she was like oh no after a couple weeks yeah she uh it was like a psycho a psychotic Mm -hmm. experience you know Mm -hmm. like she felt out of her brain out of her mind you know and and when i went to bed she went to the er and it was like so for her very traumatic yeah very traumatic experience and and now still kind of understanding what that means and i've kind of said what am i doing here and then I like is AA open again, and mm-hmm. so I went back to the rooms. They're open again, and so I did inter- introduce myself as I'm coming back, I guess here. And mm-hmm. then so meanwhile, that's where I think again another side conversation is, you know, how is this worldview like marijuana and sobriety mm-hmm. and all that? Because it's like I'm there's other even I'm gonna call them old timers here mm-hmm. who are on a bit of a maintenance program with this stuff. And I get it, you know, and I'm a bit of a cannabis fan in lots of different ways, mm-hmm. you know, but yet then I decided, well, by encouragement from this group that I'm now involved with, 
the AA program, they said, you should take your chip. Take your chip here mm. in December. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. That's great. So I took mm. a one-year chip in December still. Yet, uh, you know, in truth, I had this three weeks of the marijuana maintenance program, mm -hmm. as it gets called sometimes. <clears throat> and uh, But then since then, you know, I know for myself, I would look at those three weeks and go, that's for me, and not saying for anyone else, mm -hmm. that's not true sobriety. You know, like I'm not really sober if I'm using that for myself with any kind of a THC content. It's like, are we ever really sober? You know, like what's coffee? What's this? I mean, we could get all conversational about these other things, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, that's as it, it depends on who you ask, right? Yeah. 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 So, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, now starting this year, uh, I've thought, well, you know, I'm going to cycle through the steps, January, step one, step two, three, March, mm -hmm. and now step four. So I'm kind of like scratching in again on kind of cycling through the steps again. Right on. And uh, how are you finding it? How are you finding it going back at it this like 20 years later, really? Well, let me have a sip of water. Sure, <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks. <laughs> you don't have to ask either. You could just stop and have some water. All right. <clears throat> By the way, it's funny. I had laryngitis like for almost two months. This is like first days. It's great timing. If we did yeah. this last week, I would have this major raspy voice. It's kind of starting to get raspy right now, but it's impossible in my line of work to not yeah, talk every day, all the time. Yeah. And that is like the only thing the doctor says can fix the laryngitis is you got to like basically stop talking. Really? And it's like, uh, yeah, so how could you result, do that, man? I had it for like two yeah. months. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> So I've just started to get my voice back. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how am I finding it? Yeah, I'm totally loving it. And, you know, I, I earlier kind of was dismissive of the Zoom room, kind of going mm. like, eh, you know, I don't connect. It's not working. We met up. I walked with you that one day. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what's, are you doing? Like, I'm not. It's weird. It, I need that face-to-face. -face. I need in person. Mm. Uh, I have said that. And then yet now I've done some Zoom room stuff when I can't go in person and, Okay, yeah, it's nice. Mm -hmm. it, at a certain level, it, it provides something. But hey, let's face it, the Zoom communication with a, like a Wi-Fi signal, with a time mm -hmm. delay, with the conversing, you can't get like real-time feedback for your sharing, mm. like in the form of like people's body language or sounds. Mm. And so it, it does feel a little bit like talking in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. uh, so That's a good way to describe it. It's like a vacuum a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it... It, it's a substitute, you mm -hmm. know, for sure, but it does not serve as well as going into the space. So uh, I'll say the room because, again, mm -hmm. I don't know how anonymous things are or who listens to this or what. I think most people yeah. will get it, yeah. So Daily Reflections is like had been a huge meeting room, mm -hmm. right? So meaning like 65, 70 people, I think. Oh, geez, man. Yeah, sometimes standing room yep. in there. Yep. Yeah. And so there's something to that energy, which is like really cool. Yeah. And, you know, for myself, I'll say... Again, that's all about being present. And what I learned in the program is like living in the here and now and just having a gratitude for mm. what is and not anything like, oh, it was this. There's there's yeah. there's wisps of this sharing often that this isn't what it was, you know, and mm. it was something amazing. Well, you know, before that, what was it? What was, I mean, things are always changing. You know, mm -hmm. I think if we learn anything in life, it's the evolution of things. It's constantly changing. Well, I'm certain that when that group left the bar that they used to meet in, yeah. that people were like, this is never going to last. We're moving out of a bar. Yeah, yeah. We're going into a church. This is the biggest mistake yep. of our lives. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first time I went to that <laughs> meeting was when it was in the Maritime Reunion Association. That's right. And so it's funny because it's like, well, they used to meet in a bar. <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> and then it, what's what is fascinating is how s certain rooms take on a certain kind of kind of energy profile. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it, you know, like yeah. that daily room does have a very upbeat mm -hmm. sort of inspirational vibe. And then it's funny too, because then the people are actually different, and yeah. the space is actually different. None of these people are the same people who were there 20 years ago, almost nope. like yeah. actually. The room is different, and then we've actually changed rooms in that Scarborough United Church. But the same thing applies to Garnet, hey? Mm -hmm. Like, because I, I went to the Garnet meeting here, and did you but, go to the one up here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I've only gone once, but yeah. somehow that energy profile kind of follows that group. Totally you know? transfers. And it's quite interesting because <laughs> yeah. again, it's not like can I identify any of these same people from that same room, that same space mm -hmm. in the basement of the corner of Tenth Street and yeah. whatever second. The hour. broken plate there. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyways, the, and with that, the energy uh, right now, it, there was then a real skeleton crew there mm. through that December, like on that December birthday, I took a chip with four people were in the room, yeah. you know, and there's been six people, four, five, 10, mm -hmm. you know, and now there's like, maybe there's 15 and one day there's 20, but then it's back to four or five, yeah. you know, so but there's also something really kind of special about mm. what this is in this moment in time too. It's like, very much so. It's really neat. And yeah. you can't hide in the background. And so my story is very known to mm. these, you know, handful of people who are there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I really loved it. It's really oh, great. Good. So, and I feel so grateful too, because like right now, so many people are struggling with mm. this, like uh, the, the lockdowns and isolation, yeah. like talk about the offset to what we know we need mm -hmm. for, you know, solutions for living. So, um, yeah. Hey, I'm liking this. I get to talk and talk and talk. So I feel awkward. Like, uh, no, this like, is great, how man. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing really good. I'm enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. Right, I'm good. enjoying it very much. I, especially because we went to the same garnet, like we both yeah. went to the same room and, I was the same as you. When I went in there, I looked around and I was like, I don't know if I belong here. Yeah. But then I, same thing, when you're walking down those stairs and you see you're no longer alone on, yeah. that, on that little lift that come down, I stayed. Yeah. Right? And then, I, of course, I realized I belonged anywhere alcoholics belong. Yeah. That's where I belong. And my illusion of separateness was just, like, completely dissolved there. Yeah. Right? Like, there was no more illusion for me. And... Uh, after that, my first meeting at Garnet, I was like, yeah. I left there and I said, yeah, I'm fucked. Like, yeah. I am absolutely fucked. Like, yeah, yeah. there's no question about it. I wasn't arguing about it. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily believe I was an alcoholic, yeah. but I didn't really know what that meant, right? Like, I was, I was like you. Mentally, when it came to some of the concepts, I was more in and out. Yeah. But I just simply didn't pick up, right? And I stayed, yeah. even though my brain was like, hmm some of this stuff is weird, yeah. right? Like, mm -hmm. but I come from a church. Like, my, by the time I was born, my dad was a minister and I have never not been around cultish people, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so that was like just another group of cultish people for me yeah. to get used to, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But I just, I love it because daily reflections too. Like, I, I love going there. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's been, um, what an amazing journey, man. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's like, been seriously, yeah. <laughs> it is. It has been something. I'll, I'll oh, tell yeah. you. Don't forget to take a picture there, Darcy. Are you okay getting a picture? Oh yeah. About sitting here. Please. Yeah, he'll. 
he'll get one of us or, or we'll forget. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. I've seen this image on your <laughs> social media. By the way, yeah, different type of addiction, social media, right? But I yeah. try less That's nowadays right. to be on it. I love what you're doing on there, though, man. You make some really good videos, Well, thanks. Dude. Yeah, I keep, I got the work, you know, and then the personally, mm -hmm. like I will say, like I've actually turned Facebook on very little this whole year and yeah. getting involved in that. And, uh, but yeah, I require, you know, it is in my business, mm. so, you know, I'm a, you know, you're public, you know, you got to be. Yeah. Talking, I'm in the networking business. <laughs> yeah, well, and and yeah. you did a commercial for us for that's right yes. for us like yeah. five years ago. That's kind of right around that sort of messy time when yeah. I was like kind of trying to be in and not fully in and not know what's going on. So yeah, but it was yeah. awesome. We yeah, still I still yeah. post it every once in a while. I love it. Yeah, and then it's crazy because time flies. Isn't it? That was five years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a good little snippet. Yeah, it's like it might even be six years ago, man, because I was still at Central. So yeah. Yeah, that's a long well, time. Well, yeah, we walked down to Central. Yeah. Yeah, your common kind of footpath there. Yeah. Yeah. We took the bridge. I had my, my backpack on, and, and everyone thought, Dave, when, when did you get homeless? What happened to your <laughs> apartment? They asked me about it after some people would message me and be like, do you not have a place to live anymore? And I was like, that was my gym stuff, man. I was just walking to the gym. <laughs> but I guess when you look like I do, people just make assumptions. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, thank you for that, man. And thank yeah. you for coming on. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, well, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing how you're doing, you know, and, uh, I haven't caught up with you, but yeah. I know that's on, not on the podcast necessarily. I could, but, I uh, could share it now. I'm doing yeah, yeah. okay. Like, yeah, like, um, it's funny. Oh man, we'll talk about this after, uh, off the podcast actually. Oh, yeah? Okay. yeah. Cause I, yeah. well, I wanted to, I didn't want to embarrass you on the podcast, but Heather noticed, um, that you're, you've got some development going on. Yeah, I got it. And she uh, wanted me to congratulate yeah, you because yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, like real estate development. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and right around your little pocket there. I mean, it's just like, I mean, again, going bonkers. It's a crazy yeah. market out there. And Is it? Wild. Oh, yeah. So it's funny. I'll say this. I'll tie this into this. It's mm. kind of funny. I, I've been blessed to have great business in my career and somewhat because working in a family business mm -hmm. and a whole different set of challenges occur there. But meanwhile... For those years of like, I'm still doing great business and I'm not living in the solutions of the program. For those years, I thought, once I step back into the rooms, oh, it's really going to take off here. Mm. And so funny because last year, the start of the year, I started going back to AA. Holy shit, I had nothing going on for yeah. like a few months. And then yeah. it's like, this is weird. I always thought like if I yeah. really started applying the principles of the program to my life and living, mm -hmm. in, it's like it's going to positively impact my business. You know, not that that's why I want to do this yeah. at all. Anyways, it's it's funny messages from the universe in a way. But like last year was a bizarre year, of course, because then normally I'm a seasonal worker in the mm. spring. I get busy, you know. Yeah. And boom, COVID hits and it's like, oh, I'm twiddling my thumbs, you know. So yeah. It was a very strange year, anyways. And then, who would have thought the economy is doing in our city right now what it's doing? And and now, you know, the wind is in the sails and mm -hmm. things are rocking and rolling, you know. But uh, anyways, it's sort of a funny side story to having some, you know, misperceptions that you know mm. working in recovery is going to like really, you know, <laughs> supercharge your business. But no, that's yeah. not how things work. You know, it's yeah. Fear of economic insecurity will leave us. It doesn't mean economic insecurity leaves us, right? So, yeah, it doesn't mean we're going to be rich and have yeah. everything going well all the time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, but that is kind of a misunderstanding I think people have. Sure. Yeah. They're going to come in and they're going to get 
sober and then everything's going to get squared away and then life's going to be exactly as they dreamt. Yeah. The reality is far different. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm in the type of work that, uh, you know, it <clears throat> brings with it a lot of ego mm-hmm. like, and it's easy to be like, you know, Hey, I drive the car and I got this and mm-hmm. I got that. And, and I have great opportunities to try to surrender, you know, like, mm-hmm. so right now I'm being really moved by, uh, this book, The Surrender Experiment, An Untethered Soul by Michael Stringer. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. Untethered Soul is a great book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Beautiful book. I, I'm on a, like, probably fourth re-listen to it. It's oh, playing nice. constantly in my vehicle, you know, so. And what was the other one, sorry? Well, his two books. So oh, he's got okay. one is The Untethered Soul, but the other is called The Surrender Experiment. Okay. And it's his story about just living a surrendered life. Yeah. And it's very instructive for me, just, like, how to just, you know, do exactly that, let mm. go and surrender. So just let go, man. Sneak in those two recommended readings for listeners. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, I appreciate you coming in, man. Okay. Yeah. Thank well, you. My pleasure.